I think we have a collective responsibility to grow and maintain a sustainable media ecosystem. Um, this idea of sort of collective ownership of that responsibility, I think, is quite important. Um, that will secure a future for the premium web, for sure. Hello and welcome back to Identity Architects, the InfoSum podcast that spotlights the pioneers in the media industry who are changing the way that data is used to power better customer experiences. I'm your host, Ben Cicchetti, and for this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dora McCall Clendon, Chief Strategy Officer at the Ozone Project, to discuss first-party data, privacy, sustainability, and much, much more. Before we jump into that conversation, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects land. But without any further delay, here's my chat with Dora. Hi, Dora. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you here and we've got heaps and heaps to cover. Um, but before we get into some of that, if, for anyone who doesn't know you or isn't familiar with the Ozone Project, can you just give us a bit of background on yourself and the organisation? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Dora. Um, I am the Chief Strategy Officer at Ozone. Ozone was founded in 2018, so we are five years old. We are a publisher alliance um, that was created by a, or through collaboration um, around one very specific shared mission. Um, we imagined a world where brands could re- easily reach at scale highly attentive digital audiences um, who were engaged in editorial content. Um, and we wanted to create a future where a brand's digital investment could ultimately help employ more journalists and, and also give uh, publishers greater control over their ad businesses. Um, and for us, all of that is the premium web. So we are here supporting the premium web um, to thrive. That's awesome. Uh, I'm sure collaboration is going to be a theme throughout the mm-hmm. episode. So it's awesome to uh, have that come up already. Um, but as always, what we're going to do is start off with a few quick fire questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so what is your earliest memory of advertising? So I spent some time thinking about this and I've, I've got it. It's, it's Maureen Lipman, the BT ad where she's on the phone to her grandson and, and he's failed all his exams apart from pottery. And, he, and she's like, Anthony, people will always need plates. And, <laughs> and it's just an X. If you don't know it, if you don't remember it, it's, I had to look it up. I didn't know it was 1988, but I was seven. And uh, that is my earliest memory. And it's so defining for me just because I remember my mum laughing out loud. She found it so funny and that was, and anything, you know, when you're seven, anything that makes your mum laugh is great. And so I remember that fondly. And I, I watched it again this morning and it's still good. I will have to look that one up. I think I know, I think I know the one you mean, but I'll, I'll look it up after this. That does sound awesome. Yeah, it's good. So then what was your first job in either advertising or marketing? Uh, I was um, what we called a relevancy editor, which sounds it's a funny it's a funny title but um I worked for Ask Jeeves that was my first job I'm sure those of us old enough remember that website or that search engine rather um and my I was the travel editor responsible for the relevancy of the search results in that category and I had a great time uh I joined 
um, well, it, not straight out of uni. I graduated, then I went to, then I went, I did the usual sort of backpacker trail for a few months. And when I got back from my travels, I had to get a job um, because I had some credit card debt. And um, I joined Ask Jeeves, had a great time, and, and that was it. I never wanted to leave that the industry. So I guess if you look back at that kind of first role and knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself when you were st- first starting out in that career? You know, I I don't know if I would change all that much. I had a lot of fun in that role and in general just working in Soho in my 20s. I had a lot of fun and I think I'd tell myself, don't worry about it, just keep having fun um, because it all gets a bit serious as you get older. So don't worry too much. That's great advice. I think we can all, uh, we can all agree with that one. Yeah, we don't have to take it so seriously. You know, I, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't take it that seriously. I'm not sure my old bosses would appreciate me saying <laughs> that. <laughs> but I just, I learned an awful lot, and and it was sort of the foundation of everything that came next. But I enjoyed it, and that's, I think, the most important thing. Hundred percent. It's all that kind of time in your life is for as well. It's for yeah. you know, you're growing, you're learning a lot, and you're kind of establishing what you're going to be from a career perspective. But mm-hmm. it's also a time for a lot of freedom, a lot of fun, which is um, super important as well. Yeah. So, looking at the industry today and kind of your current role at the Ozone Project, what do you love about what you do right now and the industry you're in? Um, I get to work on a day to day basis with just the best publishers, you know, the biggest news brands in the country, in some cases in the world. Um, And similarly, on the other side, I get to work with the biggest and best brands. And what's not to like about that? You know, it's just the, the, the conversations that I have are super interesting, just from an intellectual sort of standpoint. I just love trying to help them solve problems um and more broadly than that or or sort of taking a step back from that the other way I'd answer the question is just we we work in such a great industry from a people perspective um and I think that's probably the best thing about the industry is the people and the best thing about my job for me is very much who I get to work with and those big brands that I talked about I love that So from an advertising perspective, we're a little bit obsessed with the concept of identity, meaning the ability to kind of identify individuals across devices, platforms, and so on and so forth. But how would you explain the term identity to a 10-year-old? This is a tricky one because you want things to be as basic as possible, but the more basic you try and get, the more it sounds really creepy, like we want to be, you know, knowing exactly who people are on the internet, which I don't think is right or correct and and not really what we are trying to achieve I think I'd say something along the lines of we're just trying to put the right ads in front of the right people based on what we think they might like to see or read or learn about and I think that's probably the at its very basic level that's all we're really trying to do just making sure actually comes back to my very first job relevance Mm. Um, I think that's probably what we're still trying to achieve yeah that makes sense and it takes it away i guess from the what what is identity to more why why do we want to know um who people are across the internet as well 
Yeah, because, you know, if a ten, I'm not going to go into the idea of addressability with a 10-year-old. I think I'd lose my audience by then. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So what keeps you awake at night? My children. It's <laughs> a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing else keeps me awake at night <laughs> apart from them. Um, you know, we, we're, we're trying to solve a lot of things at um at ozone um where you know we've got big big goals big ambitions in terms of what we're trying to achieve um and my role is very much focused on our strategy achieving our north star and the path through which we get there so um that's probably if anything apart from my children keep me awake at night it's probably that it's 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 not necessarily knowing what our North Star is. Matt, we know, you know, what we're trying to achieve with, the, you know, defining the premium web and creating a global place for advertisers to connect with publishers. That's very much core to what we've always been trying to do. The bit that's, uh, that probably keeps me awake is how we get there. How do we execute mm. on that? And what's the right, what's the best next step? Um, uh, and how do we navigate the long term with the short term as well? Yeah, definitely. I guess to achieve that, you kind of have to remain kind of constantly inspired, which uh, leads me to my next question was what what inspires you? Um, the idea that things can be better than what we've been doing before, if you see what I mean, you know, just mm. I, I, the, the, and it, it, it applies, I think, I think it applies to anything that we do in life, which is trying to do something better than yesterday, trying to be better than yesterday. Um, and I kind of, it's a simple idea, but I quite, I quite like it um, in, in that we're just trying to improve things incrementally, inch by inch towards a, a sort of a better future for digital, digital advertising and, and a better future for um, our publishers. So from that perspective, I think, yeah, simple concept, but just being better than yesterday, that idea inspires me. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, so last of the quickfire questions, and probably my favourite of the quickfire questions, if there was a song that was a soundtrack to your life, what would it be? So, um, I don't think I was born in the right era. I love, <laughs> like, 70s type, or 70s, 60s and 70s type folk. And mm. so, um, Cat Stevens' Wild World is the soundtrack to my life because it has... I've just it's it's featured in all sorts of aspects um, in in my career, in my travels, in my school days, in my youth when my you know dad used to play Cat Stevens endlessly. So yeah, Cat Stevens, uh, Wild World. I've even got the lyric on a T-shirt and it says, "Oh baby, it's a wild world." That's amazing. That's amazing. I love that. I don't actually know it. I have to admit uh, ignorance on this one. So you'll know it. You'll get it. Get on on Spotify. You'll know it when you hear it. Definitely. I will give it a listen. And of course, it will go on to our, uh, we have an Identity Architects uh, playlist on Spotify. So this will get added to that for everyone to enjoy and listen to. (laughs) I can't I'm gonna check that out I, I, I imagine my my suggestion is gonna throw the vibe of the uh, of it, the playlist 
It's a good, good uh, selection of songs. A little bit random at times because obviously it's different people's perspectives, yeah. but uh, it's a really good, uh, inspiring set of songs. So it's definitely worth a listen. Love it. I will do. Sounds good. So moving on to the more topic-related, industry-related questions um, and moving on to something that's kind of a, a topic for a lot of people at the moment. You know, first-party data is a core component of the modern marketing strategy. But what things do you recommend to the media owners you work with, the brands you work with to do now to prepare for that future? I'm going to assume that a lot has already been done. We've been talking about this for a long time. Um, but the main, I think the main thing for me that I have seen over time, over, over the course of time, that I think is important is a fundamental question about deciding as a brand what are your guard rails or what are your guidelines in terms of how you want to use that first party data that, you know, I'm a firm believer that, you know, brands, whether that's a publisher brand or, a, or, a you know, one of our advertising brands, um, they are the gatekeepers, if you like, of the relationship with the reader or, or with the consumer. And so they know their customers, so the question is, what would your customers expect from you when you're when you are making decisions about how to use that data? Um, what would they be okay with? How do you want to work with the data? What do you want to do with it? Who do you want to partner with? Um, what data will you use? What data won't you use? I think answering the question, answering that question is, is I think it's quite a fundamental way to start, and then you can set your strategy from there once you've answered that question and and I also think what's been interesting to me over the course of time that we've been having lots of these conversations is just this idea of well just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should um and and ozone we think about that kind of concept quite a lot you know there's an awful lot of data out there but not all of it is appropriate necessarily to use um and we think very carefully about the, the idea of data ethics. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I guess, again, it kind of comes back to when we were talking about identity, it's coming back to that why. Why are you trying to use this data? And that can be your kind of guiding light as to how you then use it and for what purposes. Yeah. So I think we can all agree at this point that the way uh, that the data-driven advertising has been powered for the last uh, couple of decades maybe was flawed. But in your opinion, who's responsible for rebuilding the foundation of digital advertising for a better future? Mm, all of us, probably. Um, I think we have a collective responsibility to grow and maintain a sustainable media ecosystem. Um, this idea of sort of collective ownership of that responsibility, I think, is quite important. Um, that will secure a future for the premium web, for sure. Um, I think ridding our industry of unhelpful ad tech metrics will begin to go a long way. You know, things things like, you know, post-click attribution or post-view attribution, the latter of which I don't think is going to last very long post-cookie anyway, post-third-party cookie anyway, um, but a focus on long-term, real-world business metrics really should be what we care about. That should be, I'm sure, what CMOs and CFOs care about. Um, 
And I think a commitment to focus on quality rather than low value inventory across the open web, which as we know is just beset with problems, ad fraud, etc. Um, I think it's all possible if we collectively agree uh, that we want to do better than we did yesterday. Um, and I think as well, we should all we should push back on those who say it is impossible and probably question their agenda. So what do you think are the challenges that brands and the industry as a whole and, and media owners are facing um, that's kind of not allowing that to happen sooner? Um, I think for as long as we still have third party cookies, nothing's going to change. I think that's the first thing I, you know, I'm, um, we've been talking about this for a long time and obviously the latest date from Google is some, I think sometime early next year. Um, in theory, we've been preparing for a very long time, but we've not had to put anything really into practice in a kind of urgent way because we can still use third party cookies as an industry. And so I think one of our problems is the lack of, um, I don't know, lack of urgency. It keeps getting kicked into the long grass, right? So we sort of have these sort of um, peaks and troughs in terms of the industry getting together and trying to solve the problem and then it gets kicked down the road again and, and, and then we go back to old ways. And so I think I'm, I'm very, um, I suppose I'm excited about when it finally happens because we can start talking about putting in place all of the new ideas um, that we want to 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 try not that we haven't been trying you know I, I shouldn't I shouldn't suggest that there's I think the industry as a whole has been experimenting with a whole bunch of things but um it hasn't it hasn't necessarily lacked the desperate need to solve it when we still can fall back on third-party cookies so I think that's probably how I would answer your question 100% maybe it just needs that urgency um yeah. to kind of drive things forward a little bit And I I think as well, there's a bit of scepticism because Google have kicked it down the road so often. People are like a little bit um, sort of cynical about it. Mm. You know, I think these days people are saying, yeah, but are they really going to do it? Are they really? You know, we've heard this before. So it sort of just perpetuates the problem, really, because, you know, we just continue as we are otherwise, if we never believe it will change. Yeah. For sure. And I think you touched on measurement and attribution a little bit already, and it's clearly a much debated topic um, for the industry right now. How do you see that changing spe- specifically in a post-cookie world? Yeah, well, post-view post attribution, which has done nothing to um, create innovation in our industry, Uh will will no will, will no will be very difficult to to keep measuring um in a post third party cookie world i think that is a good thing um i think that's a very good thing because uh, you know, as we all know it's so easy these days to game that system um i think that agencies will continue their focus on um media mix modeling which is you know, um, a, a, a long-standing, tried and tested me- measurement methodology um, that that for lots for lots of reasons that we've just been talking about, all of those ad tech metrics existing, digital advertising 
has sort of fallen outside of that in some in some ways and I think that there'll be um, or there has been I know already there has been a lot more there's been a lot of work trying to work out um, how that looks in the future to integrate digital advertising into that media mix modeling and I think that's only a good thing um, it will allow <clears throat> marketers to measure the impact of their marketing just across their entire media plan and it will be just a better integration uh, digital advertising will be better integrated into that without there being a sort of muddying, without it being muddy, muddying the waters in terms of yeah, those ad tech metrics and, and come it will come back to more real world business metrics. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I mean, you touched on it right at the start uh, and I said it would come back as a theme, but obviously data collaboration. Mm. How do you see data collaboration between media owners, data partners, brands and others kind of enabling measurement in that post-cookie world and kind of what do you think needs to improve to make it its most effective? Yeah, well, testing. Testing is going to be so, so, so important. Um, you know, we mustn't forget that First party cookies will still exist um, and brands and media owners collaborating there and, and sharing data sets and working together to understand things like brand uplift and, and using first party cookies to do that, I think can be really interesting. Um, I think that a lot more testing needs to be done to achieve greater understanding of what is possible. The... Um, there's a lot. I think. I think. I think. There's just a lot more potential and a lot more opportunity than maybe we've explored simply because we we can still use the third party cookie today, um, and everybody's still trying to work out how we will use privacy protected Google's privacy protected audiences in the future. So that I think there's still a lot of unknowns, um, but I don't think we should be waiting for Google. I think just between brands and media owners, there should be. A great deal more collaboration and conversation um but it's also it comes back to what i was saying about balancing the short term with the long term um we're all got we've all got such pressing you know week by week month on month targets and and things that we need to achieve and it can be very difficult sometimes to sort of take stock and look long term um but but it's certainly going to be worth it in the long run yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things that's clear is, you know, obviously technology is changing and we're seeing that technology change with Google. We're seeing that technology change with Apple and other kind of technology providers. But obviously technology can also be a driver and an enabler of innovation. So what technologies are emerging in this space that kind of excite you? And is there anything you still think is missing from that kind of tech stack? Yeah, I've, I've, I feel like I've got through so far half of this, the first half of this podcast without mentioning artificial intelligence, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I tried, I tried not to. Um, but I do think, I do think, the, I do think predictive modelling is interesting when we're talking about measurement in the future. I think understanding brand uplift is core to that. Um, understanding, or rather being able to predict and optimize to those kind of metrics is very interesting. And the more data that we have, the more historical data that we have and the more campaigns that we run in order to obviously feed the machines to, to, for them to learn, I think that's quite interesting. Um, there's so much written in, in um, the, the press and, and our industry press about 
AI and predictive modeling. Um, but we, you know, there's, and but there's just a lot of ways it can be applied in terms of the context that we're talking about here. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see what happens um, when we can start to, like I say, explore and experiment some more and, and see what um, else emerges in this space. For sure. It feels like we're just scratching the surface of kind of what that will enable and the kind of the innovation, the uh, additional insight, the kind of um, great things that I think AI can Mm. enable in the future. And we're just kind of scratching the surface with any new technology. There's always that kind of initial excitement period. And then it's settling it in and seeing how it actually fits into your kind of day to day work and the mix Mm. of everything we do as as an industry. Absolutely. Yeah. There's just so much in terms of just efficiency gains um, that that is exciting as well. Um, yeah, there's there's an awful lot that we can use AI for to make our day to day lives easier from a workplace perspective. And I, that's that's fun to think about. For sure. And I think obviously we spent a lot of time discussing the cookie-less future, the end of third-party cookies, but there are other issues um, within our industry that kind of deserve attention. And one of those is clearly the climate crisis and sustainability. So what can the ad tech industry do to help and be more sustainable? And what is Ozone currently doing in that area? Um, It has been a really interesting conversation over the last few months. I think that as an industry, we've woken up quite recently to our impact on the climate crisis. I've learned a huge amount in the last six months. Um, I'm responsible for sustainability and our strategy in that space at Ozone. So I've had to quite quickly learn things and con- uh, you know ideas and concepts that I simply just didn't know enough about before. Um, what, what have we learned at Ozone and what are we doing? So we've, we've launched something called EcoZone. EcoZone is a measurement tool that we've um, launched already for advertisers, which shows the carbon impact of any given campaign. So we provide that data uh, as part of a post-campaign report um, back to advertisers and agencies. We're working on um, EcoZone for publishers, so we will be able to provide a similar view for publishers in terms of their own contribution to car, uh, car, uh, ozone's carbon footprint um, on a you know meet weekly or monthly or uh, quarterly basis to help them understand um, that view. We we get that data from actually straight from our cloud provider, um, and that's what's been quite good for us to understand where we can get our data from. So we use Google, GCP, we use AWS as well for our cloud provider, for our cloud um, provide as our cloud, sorry, as our cloud providers. Um, and they, they have reporting which shows the um, impact of carbon on a per bid and per impression basis. So we've been able to take that information and apply that and apportion it on a campaign basis or on a per publisher basis. So we're doing our part, at least in terms of measurement, um, in terms of reduction, which are, we are fully focused on. We're doing a bunch of things. We we work on the premise that more direct is best. We always say to brands and, and um, agencies, it is better to go directly to 
a publisher. That is the best and most sustainable way of getting what the audience that you want in the context that you want. However, if you want to do something with greater scale across all of our sites, you should do that through Ozone because that is the next best way to achieve greater directness with our publishers. Um, so we're working on, for example, our direct connection with the trade desk, which removes the need for all, uh, all those extra hops across the in, uh, ecosystem. We're working on um, things like optimizing our data storage and archiving data that in cold storage that we don't need. Um, we're doing things like uh, bypassing the open internet and, and going through direct connections with some of our bigger ad vendors. Uh, we're focused on reducing carbon at a per bid request level. So we've seen a year on year decline in carbon of 68% from uh, 2021 through to 2022. And we're focused on the same thing on achieving even more gains if we can uh, this year. So a lot of work is happening. I think we all are, we're all individually responsible and all collectively responsible. Um, and we should do it transparently and collaboratively. That's my, that's my view. That's how we do it as an industry together. Yeah. I love that. Uh, and it's so important. It's such a, um, it's inspiring to know it's coming up more and more in these conversations and the more and more organizations are kind of highly focused on it. And as you say, it kind of seems to be a theme, um, of the episode It is about that kind of collective responsibility. It's about that collaboration, uh, and also about transparency about how we're all, we're all tackling it. Yeah. Before we kind of uh, wrap things up with our final couple of questions, just a bit of a prediction looking forward at the industry. Where do you see the industry going? Where do you see data collaboration going? Where do you see privacy going over the next five to 10 years? I think that regulation and consumer expectations will get more stringent. Um, I think that we will look back at some of the things we've done in the past. I think we've met we might already be there in saying it, but some of the things that we do today or have done in the past won't be acceptable in five to 10 years time uh, from a privacy perspective. I think we will have learned um, how to rewrite media plans that don't rely so much on the idea of behavioral audiences. That context um, will sort of have a, a reemergence in the in this space it already really is in terms of at least in terms of the way that we're talking about it i think that we'll have got a lot better at the way we do our measurement um would have absolutely got rid of some of those ad tech measurements that we've talked about you know post click post view etc there'll be a much more um keen focus on real business outcomes um and i think that there'll be a way in which um consumers have far greater control of their data and how their data is used. I think that technology will innovate and it will solve for some of those use cases, which will give consumers far greater control in how their data is used, what it's used for. Um, and they'll, have, and they'll begin to be quite discerning, I think, in terms of the brands that they want to work with on that kind of direct one-to-one -one basis. And I think that will be a really interesting space as it emerges. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it should definitely make for an interesting uh, kind of five to 10 years as we, we move forward. So that's kind of the main um, 
the main section of the questions uh, covering kind of uh, what you're doing at Ozone and what Ozone is working on at the moment. But something we haven't touched on, which I think is an important um, area of your work, is you are actively involved in two amazing organizations. One is Media for All and the other is Outvertising. What can you tell us about those organizations for anyone that might be unfamiliar and the work that you're doing there? Um, so Media for All was founded by Naren Patel um, and he was struck five or six years ago by the lack of um, ethnic diversity across our industry and he wanted to do something about it. So he pulled a bunch of um, uh, leaders into a room and said, what What should we do? Uh, MIFA was born out of that conversation. Um, we are focused on we're focused on mentoring primarily. So we invite, um, we invite mentees from any kind of background, whether they've been in the industry for three days or three months or three years or, or whatever, we, we invite them if, if they have come, if they have come in, whether um, via a grad scheme or an internship or however it may be, we want to make people from ethnically, ethnically diverse backgrounds welcome in this industry. We want to support them. We want to give them an opportunity to meet senior leaders who are who maybe look like them, who have had successful careers, who have navigated tricky parts of their careers, who are willing to share and help and help them learn and grow because we want them to stick around. We want we want this to be a place that is welcoming to everybody. Uh, and so that's what MIFA is focused on. And it's five or six years old now. And it's been uh, really rewarding to see what Naren has achieved with his team and how big it has become and what a name in the industry it has become really influential. And I'm proud to have been a part of it, a small part of its um, original um, foundations. No, it sounds amazing. Uh, it's one of those, it's a phrase I use a lot um, internally at InfoSum is you, you can't be what you can't see. And sometimes you can feel like you can't achieve your goals um, if you can't see someone who's already achieved them that, as you say, looks like you or acts like you. Um, obviously, the other organization that you're involved in, advertising, that's something mm. they're kind of hyper-focused on. Um, and I say that often as, you know, coming up in my career, there wasn't a single gay leader that told me it was okay for me to be both openly gay and be successful in my career. So having those people that kind of can set that set that road and kind of be those role models is just so vitally important yeah exactly that I, I completely agree and like you say advertising does very similar but for the lgbtq plus community um and again i'm very proud to be a mentor for them for exactly the same reasons that you're saying you know it it, it made a huge difference to me in my career when i met people who were like me um and i saw what they had achieved I got the opportunity to ask them questions about how they did it and I just feel a bit of a responsibility to be that person for others um, and I think that's something I'll hopefully continue being able to do for both MIFA and for advertising. That's awesome I love that well I feel like that's a really really good um, place to finish but before we wrap things up um, as you know this podcast is all about spotlighting those individuals who are pioneering better ways 
to use data, but generate to do better advertising within the media industry. So when you look at people that you admire uh, within your industry or within the network, um, who would you nominate for us to interview in an upcoming episode? Oh, there's so many brilliant people. I, I want to spotlight a woman. Um, and there's so many brilliant women to spotlight. Um, somebody like Katie Jones, she's a digital hero of mine. Um, uh, Hayley, who's just recently joined We Are Eight. Um, brilliant organisation doing such interesting things. Probably those two. They're the, they're the two that come off the top of my head because I forgot to prepare for that question. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hopefully they'll hear this episode and know that we're going to be reaching out shortly to uh, to set that up. That'd be awesome interviews for sure. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Dora. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, always inspiring to hear kind of all the work that the Ozone Project is doing, but also generally around kind of the incredible work that you're doing uh, across the industry. So thank you so much for joining us for the episode. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Dora for joining us on Identity Architects. It was fascinating to hear Dora's insight into the current industry landscape, but also inspiring to hear about the work that's going on in sustainability and the amazing organisations Dora is involved in, such as Media for All and Advertising. All that leaves me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.